This is Create the Next from Pro CFO Partners, where every week we explore strategies and ideas for financial management and growth to help today's businesses put their financial picture in context. I'm Chris Billiff here with Raji Kalra from Pro CFO Partners. And Raji, not-for-profits have a really interesting um, sort of circumstance in that sometimes how does the mission interact or engage or interface with the need to manage finances, to make money? How does uh, the leadership, who are sometimes so passionate about the mission, how does that connect to the need for strong, pragmatic business leadership? Give me a sense from your perspective uh, with not-for-profits, what are some of the common, consistent financial challenges that you see again and again or that these companies consistently face? Sure, Chris. Um, I'd be happy to tackle that. i I think in the nonprofit space, um, a couple of things come to mind. One is, like you said, people are very passionate. They, you know, you're not going into this industry because you really love finance or you really love accounting or you, yes, you should be good at those and you should enjoy doing them, but you really need to have alignment with the mission for the organization. And many times what I, you know, I'm a career coach on the side. What I like to tell the folks that I coach is that, you have to demonstrate that that passion for the mission as well as the competency level that you you carry with you and most people uh you know coming from the private sector often feel like they don't have the that they can't demonstrate that passion and so i oftentimes tell them to go volunteer to tell the story. You know, that passion comes from somewhere. And a lot of times that will make or break your success in that field because uh, of the cultural fit that either goes along with that passion um, or is missing. I think that's fascinating because passion is obviously at the heart of any founder or uh, many leaders and executives are passionate about what they do. But there's an emotional component to a not-for-profit that is unique, I think. I wonder if you agree with that? Yeah, it, because um, it is mission-driven and mission-based, a lot of that is tied to people's emotions and sense of purpose. And so, um, you know, I always say skills can be taught and learned. The passion, it comes from within. So you need to have that, but it's a balance, right? Because a lot of the leadership that I work with many times don't have the financial um, knowledge or background. They understand that finance is important, but they don't necessarily understand the finances. And so you're not only playing teacher and educator uh, because they need to understand their budgets. They need to understand what it means to track to a budget and and, um, what a successful uh, audit looks like without any um, material weaknesses. And how do you achieve that? And why is that important? Um, what is financial sustainability and what does that look like? I think the, one of the things we struggle with in the nonprofit space is this um, desire to have a healthy reserve be, to weather an economic downturn, but then sh- showing a profit because the, the private sector is so often interested in like, what are your um, profits and how are you earning money? But the nonprofit space doesn't have that, but they still have that struggle of needing to build and maintain a a healthy reserve. Many times people are like, well, whatever we raise, we should spend, just spend a hundred percent because it goes to the mission. Uh, And in order, like, especially now during COVID or a pandemic or a recession, you need, uh, many nonprofits are now struggling if they didn't have that reserve or that cushion to help get them through this sort of slump in um, donors and slump in, in revenue. 
and a lot of the revenue, they're not selling widgets, you know, they're not, they're not manufacturing or selling project, um, services or, or, or products. Sometimes that's, that supplements their income, but many times it's, uh, you know, serving the community and that's done for free. And so the money comes from the donations and the donors and the foundations and that, uh, and then if it's government funded, many times government agencies don't expect you to use their money for, to build a reserve. So you have to use the private dollars that you raise to build that reserve and, and, um, make sure that they're comfortable with it. You know, so many times they also deal with restricted money. Uh, restrictions can really um, handcuff a nonprofit in many ways if it doesn't align with their mission and their purpose. So um, I, we can talk about more about restricted dollars if, if you want, but it's, it's one of those things that are, that are very different. I would know? like to dive into that because these are such unique challenges the not-for-profits face. And one of the things I hear you say is, look, if I were to give one piece of key advice, it would be build a reserve. You've got to have a bit of a rainy day uh, fund and you might have to build it in unique ways because some of the ways that you, uh, that revenue comes in won't allow that. Tell me more about this restricted access though, because that's restricted uh, finances, because if that's one of my sort of key revenue generators, how do I start to make that meaningful inside of these other priorities that I have inside the business? Yeah, two things. I think one is you have to be very careful when you are accepting a restricted gift. Make sure that you're not, it's not creating extra work. So a restricted gift, for example, would be a donor or a foundation saying you must spend, um, like say the nonprofit works on domestic violence um, and and services provided to, to victims of domestic violence. If the, this foundation says, well, we appreciate and we want to um, give you money towards your mission, but you have to use it in these shelters at these times or in these locations. If you don't have staff there, you're not set up to do that, run that program, what is it really going to cost you? Is it beneficial to take the money at that point? You have to do that analysis. And so many times when you're growing, you're so eager to say, yes, I, I just, just sure. give me the money. We'll do it. We'll make it work. Um, and how do you turn and, away? How do you turn, <laughs> away? Right, right, right. Do you turn away this money? Um, and and it, sometimes it's it's really difficult to do that. Um, but it it might not be the best use of your time in order to and and maybe it's better to go after other money or unrestricted dollars. You know, a lot of donors like I give to a lot of environmental nonprofits because that's where my passion is, and I just give unrestricted dollars. As soon as I donate, I'm not saying use it these funds for this purpose or in this time frame. I'm just giving a donation and those can be used however the, the nonprofit really needs or wants. It, the donor is basically saying, I trust you, I believe in your mission, go spend this how you see fit mm-hmm. to, to better and serve your community and your, um, and your clients. And if, it's, if it is restricted, um, and it does align to your mission, then you have to, there's a lot of times reporting requirements that go along with it. So it's not, maybe it's not worth it to do it for a couple thousand dollars because the reporting requirements and the time spent on reporting isn't worth it either. Um, And then other times, if it's the majority of, yes, I'm getting government grants and it's restricted, let me try and diversify because that may go away that may not be there the next time or the next year. It may not renew every year. So let me take the opportunity to invest in what we call development or fundraising. And that has a, a long lead time as well. Like, as you can imagine, 
if I'm a high net worth individual and I have a passion for environmental um, conservation, I will do my due diligence and it's a courting you know, process of like, well, I might be able to give a few thousand dollars, but what they really want from me is a six, seven figure gift. And I'm not ready to commit that much money to you because I don't know you that well yet. So let's build that relationship. And those longer term relationships lead to bigger gifts, but it takes a while. It doesn't, you know, you can't just hire a fundraising person and expect loads of revenue to come in that first year. It, you know, it's a, it's sort of a sunk cost that first year. Yeah. And then going forward, you ha- you're starting to see the, the benefit of that hire. Create the Next is brought to you by Pro CFO Partners, who believe every business deserves to work with an expert CFO to guide its success. Pro CFO Partners are expert financial officers networked across industries, verticals, specializations, and situations. Fulfilling the role of a part-time CFO with all-time commitment, Pro CFO Partners utilizes the innovative and exclusive FGC financial flywheel as a framework that creates momentum to drive your financial functions for sustainable success. Visit ProCFOPartners.com to explore how we can implement a systematic and scalable financial system to help you achieve your goal. ProCFOPartners.com Expectation management sounds like it's at the heart of some of what you're sharing, which as a marketing pro, I really, this resonates with me in the way that we have to build a relationship and sometimes it takes a long time before we can really reap the larger benefits of that relationship, but especially in a not-for-profit where timing is everything and where we don't know what the next quarter brings or what the next year brings. And, and I'm so impassioned and energized by this need and the need is now, and we have to do it now. I I hear you saying it can be so difficult to turn away uh, a, a gift or to turn away an opportunity or to not analyze it from all these perspectives to see if it's the right thing for me. And I think that's one of the things that a CFO, um, should, uh, an organization should feel very comfortable that their CFO can help them steer in that direction. I think it's another place. Tell me if you agree or not for profits running very lean, maybe aren't seeking the financial insight and advice they could be and trying to do it all themselves or rely on their history or knowledge or experience with uh, the private sector, which is only sometimes or in certain ways relevant are they building the team that they need to around them as often as you think that they should be relying on that pro CFO who can say, look, this is great, but hold on, let's examine this from all these different opportunities before we decide what to do with it. Or is that an area that needs uh, more improvement or more focus? A lot of what I will call back office support, because finance gets grouped into that along with operations is behind. There's a lag. They, they hire six months after they needed someone (laughs) Um, because they're, they're running and they're so passionate and they're just trying to throw money at their, their mission. They don't take the time to set up the infrastructure and the systems and the processes needed to really scale and grow efficiently. And then as they start to do that organically, they're like, Oh, wait, maybe we need a CFO. Maybe we need an operations director. Maybe we need, you know, um, an accountant, a a real like CPA accountant. Um, And so actually every, funny you should say that, every position I've ever held in the, as a full-time person, I've been the first of that position at that nonprofit. The first director of finance, the first CFO, the first COO, the first, because they they recognize the need and then try to staff and hire for it. Yes, backwards. It's backwards from like, 
startup um, in the private sector. So in the in the startup in the private sector, you are staffing at the top first and then getting everyone else. Maybe you have an admin or an EA on the side, but the, everyone else is like all the C-level people you get first, the strategy, the, you know, um, and in the nonprofit space, that's rarely, you know, the case because they're not running it like a business until they need to run it like a business. You find too that there can be an over-reliance on personal relationships to the network and they bring in the wrong kind of person. Like, oh, I've got a cousin who can manage the books or something where they, it's all well-meaning, but in an effort to maybe save money, they're just wasting a lot of that because they aren't getting professional. They're confusing CFO with something else that is just ticking boxes rather than providing guidance and strategy that as you're describing is pretty necessary for me to understand how I'm going to turn this not-for-profit into something really meaningful three, four, five years down the road and not just in the next six weeks as these opportunities come up. I think what happens most often is maybe there is some like of that community, like let me bring in this person I know who did this for my for, for this other company or this personally. Um, and that does happen, but I think a, a lot of times it's the people who have grown with the organization, who were hired in the beginning, who don't necessarily, who had the skills that were needed upfront for the small sort of task oriented job that it was. Um, but they're not that strategic thinker. They don't have those long-term planning and infrastructure, uh, you know, skills to really say, okay, what do I need to do now to get this to the next level? What does the staffing need to look like? So they end up, they learn a lot on the job, but sometimes they learn the wrong things or they're doing it in a way that they know that's not necessarily the best way to do it. Um, and so it's breaking them of habits um, that they formed. And also it's a lot of education, even sometimes in the finance um, department, if I, if you want to call it that. And many times it's just one or two people um, who are sort of uh, going through what they've learned and going through the processes. Oh, I know how to do a bank rec on QuickBooks because it walks me through right. this, you know, um, but not really understanding the behind the scenes accounting um, needs. So you're not, they're not going to come to you and say, Oh, I think we need this journal entry. I think we need to adjust this because we're ending the year this way, or let's, you know, a lot of times uh, timing is a big, big thing. Um, and in the nonprofit space, say I'm a donor and I grant an award of a hundred thousand dollars and I don't give the check until six months later. But if I give you an award letter, you have to recognize that revenue when the award letter is received. Mm. Um, and so it's it can be a disadvantage, but it can also be used to your advantage. So say someone is struggling at the end of the year to make ends meet. They have a cash reserve, but they need to show more revenue that year. Um, we could potentially go after donors who aren't quite ready to like pay, but are committed to make a to make a payment and make a donation. So we could say, would you mind our fiscal year ends June 30th? And I know you're going to pay in August, but could you apply it to last year for us, our last fiscal year? So we, there's a lot of this, like sort of, it's a dance to, mm -hmm. to try and not only plan long-term, but if the, someone's really struggling, try to manage the, the cash flow and the finances and the reporting in the, in the near term. Uh, and we all, in, in the best practice is accrual based accounting. So we have the flexibility to do that, especially as folks are saying, um, you know, we need 5,000 more dollars just, or whatever the case may be for, for this year or for this campaign. Can we apply it to this gala? Can we apply your to this? Um, 
And then there's other times where we don't want the gift right now, <laughs> or, you know, um, our fiscal year starts on September one and we got an, a gift August 31st. That doesn't help my, maybe it doesn't help me that last year. Can you restrict it to the future year? Um, but we still have to recognize it in, in August. Um, so there's that whole going back to that restricted. There's there are gifts that can also be time restricted. So um, it's it's like taking a job, work for the whole year, and then I'll pay right. you at the end of the year. Right. You know. So right. in my in my book, I'm equating it to that. I'm like, well, how do you pay your bills? You know, if you're 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 expecting me to have money saved from other jobs when you give me a, a grant or a gift like that. Just one of the many challenges that not-for-profits face. I think you've given us so many really great kind of practical, tactical, tangible things to think about. If I'm a leader uh, or, or an organizer inside of a, a not-for-profit, there's so many great kind of nuggets you've given us to, to really think about. And I really appreciate that. And I feel like we've only scratched the surface. So I hope you'll come back and talk with us again sometime. Great. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Raji. Appreciate your time today. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to our subscribers. Consider becoming one today. Visit ProCFOPartners.com and learn how we can help you build a framework for financial management and growth.